Welcome to West Quasset Chapel's podcast. For more information, visit us online at westquassettchapel.com. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the first chapter of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read some verses from chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, all the way to um, verse 10 of chapter 2. So a few weeks ago, we finished our time in Romans, and we've been um, different places in the Bible, um, and here we are in Colossians 1. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. He's going to tell us what that is. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the saints, to whom To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, And for all who have not met me personally, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Okay, so what is that mystery? Namely, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and you are complete in him, in IV, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and every authority. And it's that last word that's going to be our main interest this morning. We're going to take at least three Sundays to work through what we just read. So this morning, we'll, be, we'll kind of fly over and we'll do some diving into it. But I think it's going to work out good with God's help and as we put everything together. So if you would, let's, let's pray and ask God for his help. I'm just going to quote from a hymn. Um, Jesus said, if I am weak, I should come to him. No one else can give me strength. I should come to him. And so, Father, I am weak, so I am in Christ's name coming to you for strength. Please give us all the help which we could never earn, nor that we could maintain, 
so that as we listen by your power, we will gladly hear, we will really understand, and we will tie ourselves to this truth tighter, to your truth tighter, for the, or for the first time ever. Don't let us, beginning with myself, have dull ears, uh, slow minds, or, or rebel hearts. So just destroy the work of the evil one in the context of this preaching, the sermon. And equip us now with every good thing to accomplish your purposes in this context, living an honest, common life in the name of Christ, as you, God, teach us from this text this morning. And it is for Jesus' sake that we ask this. Amen. All right, authority. That was our last word. Now, I want you to think with me about authority. So the questions that you would ask, okay, who has it? How do we know? What is its source? When is it right to rebel against authority? Where can it be found? And, and how is authority to be exercised? These are all good questions. There's more, but these are good questions. Questions that should be asked because authority is a real thing. And authority, believe it not or not, it's a needed thing. Now, we know, like, and we have to be honest, part of the dream life, at least the dream life that we're told of, is, you know, for no one to ever tell us what to do. And we're working for that mythical day when we won't have anybody to tell us anything. But that is such a small way to approach such a meaningful life that we are given. And so many of the things we need to live, just the basic common things, they have authority written all over them. I mean, you can't eat your meat that you buy at the store without an authoritative stamp on them that says it's okay to eat the meat. And so when you think about the life and ministry of Jesus, for example, in the context of James and John for, that, for great authority, remember they were asking Jesus for great authority? Jesus did not say no to them. What he did was expand their understanding of authority. And Jesus understood that those in authority place themselves, listen very carefully, they place themselves in the, in the position of the greatest vulnerability. Okay, so when you're out there, you're exposed. And therefore, they put themselves at risk for the greatest pain, if you like, suffering. And loved ones, it's the same with us. And as you think about it, there is so much good that comes with authority over us. Indeed, in the context of the Christian life, we have someone in the person of Jesus Christ who has authority over us. He promises us, this is part of his authority, he promises us that he's going to care for us, he's going to provide for us, he's going to forgive us, he's going to give us sound counsel, and he's going to help us in everything. And if you think about that, that is beautiful. I have no trouble with that kind of authority. But of course, the problem of authority is probably the one of the most fundamental problems the Christian church continuously faces. This is because Christianity is built on truth, that is to say, in the context of divine revelation. If you like, Christianity builds itself on alive words from God put on pages to lead us. I mean, that is at its essence. Alive words from God put on pages to lead us. And Jesus Christ himself established Christianity as a faith of biblical authority. Jesus always was pointing back to the Old Testament as a way to understand this is what we should do and this is what we should not do. And Jesus is the teacher of the church. He is the church's Lord and teacher. And he teaches his spirit, people, excuse me, by his spirit through his written word. 
I, I learned this this week that Mary, the mother of Jesus, her final recorded statement in the statement in the gospel. So this is the whole gospel. Her last words were this. And this is his mother says to the servants in John's gospel, "Do whatever he tells you." Right? What a mother. Good. Do whatever he tells you. Why? Because that's exactly what she must do. Whatever Jesus tells her, because Jesus is her son, and he is the Lord of glory, and he has authority over everything. And it's the same for us. So to be under the authority of Christ involves you and me in the most common of ways to be under the authority of Scripture. Right? The supremacy of Scripture is, is in principle, Christianity at its purest and its truest. That's why I said the scripture is alive, because it's an alive book about the living word, Jesus Christ. Listen to J.I. Packard on this. Every generation has to choose between a Christianity that is consistent with itself and one that is not. Between one that is wholly God-given and one that is partly man-made. We have to choose. We have to choose whether to bow to the authority of the Son of God or whether on our own authority to discount and contravene a part of his teaching, whether to rest content with Christianity according to Christ, or whether to go hankering after a Christianity according to the spirit of our age, whether to behave as Christ's disciples or behave as his tutors. We have to choose whether we will accept the biblical doctrine of Scripture as it stands or permit ourselves to refashion it according to our own fancy. So then, like now, any authoritative truth claims are for some thought as restraints, okay, or power plates. So anytime you say this is the truth, and it is actually the truth, people interpret that as restraining or kind of like, who do you think you are? But to be honest, some of the tension in authority, both, both in Christianity, but also in the world, is in the fact that authority is, is a necessity. It, it is an absolute necessity, but it's practiced by fallen people. You understand it? Fallen people exercise authority. So this might help you. I talked to two moms yesterday, and I asked the question, do you delegate authority to your older children over the younger? Okay, so... Mom has authority, and she delegates the authority to, to their older kids over the younger. And they said, yes, we do. And I said, do they get it wrong sometimes? And they said, yes, they do. I said, but do you give them another chance at it? Do you give them another go at it? And they said, yes, we do. Now, that is less common in culture. Yeah. One bad tweet from 2014, and you could be ostracized. I mean, all week long, I mean, I kicked my sister when I was like eight. <laughs> Someone's going to find about, you all know now, you're going to find out. And he says, he's preaching God's word. How could he, right? How could he? And the reason why it's so easy to ostracize leadership or leaders with God-given authority or just authority in general is because the world doesn't understand grace. It doesn't. But listen, there is also justifiably in this something that we need to remind ourselves. We do not want to be under an authority that is wrong. We do not want to be led astray. 
We do not want precious years to be wasted following the wrong authority or following authority wrongly. And we do not want to be simply under someone who would use us as a prop, you know, to feed their ego or just, you know, they like to lead because they like, you know, dominating room and they get goosebumps when they, you know, conquer people. We don't want that. And therefore, because of that, because that's a reality, all authority should be questioned. And I'm very comfortable with that. It should be, it should be obeyed, but it's proper to have it questioned. Indeed, the abuse of authority, of, of authority becoming a means to an end, is the very reason why authority should be questioned. But again, questioning authority and saying we don't need it, that is very different. So C.S. Lewis, he's, he, he, and he wrote a book, The Case for Christianity. He just calms us down when you think about authority and the whole power issue thing. Listen to what he writes. He, he writes how embedded authority is in every person's common life. He says, don't be scared by the word authority. Believing things on authority only means believing them because you've been told them by someone you think trustworthy. 99% of the things you believe are believed on authority. I believe there is such a place as New York. I haven't seen it myself. I couldn't prove by abstract reasoning that there must be such a place. I believe it because reliable people have told me so. The ordinary man believes in the solar system, atoms, evolution, and the circulation of the blood on authority because the scientists say so. Every historical statement in the world is believed on authority. None of us has seen the Norman conquest or the defeat of the Armada. None of us could prove them by pure logic as you prove a thing in mathematics. We believe them simply because people who did see them have left writings that tell us about them. In fact, on authority. Now, this is written 1950-something. This is postmodern man. In fact, on authority, a man who, he used the word jibbed, he means like a man who balks at authority and other things, as some people do in religion, would have to be content to know nothing all his life. If you grabbed onto that, that is like, that is some good, high thinking in a real simple way. And so, because for the Christians, the principle of biblical authority means on one hand that God's purpose is to direct the belief and the behavior of his people revealed through a set of truths in the Holy Scripture that have historical data in them and outside of them to support it. I mean, that's at the root of it. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, it means that all our ideas about God, okay, anything that we think about God has to be measured and tested and when necessary, corrected, and when necessary, enlarged, right? Especially enlarged by reference to what the Bible teaches. I mean, just think about some of the songs that we sing. A good and gracious king. Some, some people have a hard time thinking God is, God is a good and gracious king. Maybe hard and, and miserly, but not good and gracious. And so what we do is we bow to the authority that God is good and God is gracious. And let it enlarge our frame of reference. And why is that important? Why, why is it so important that I'm telling you there's an authoritative book inspired over us? Well, here's some good reasons. So that in Christianity, everyone, everyone has the same authority hovering over us. 
In Christianity, everyone drinks from the same well, the Bible, to understand that authority. And in Christianity, we have the same Holy Spirit moving in us to understand the Bible. And this is so important. No one, no one has any special insight or infallibility that jets them past the authority of Christ mediated through his word. Do you, you get, can I repeat that? No one has any special insight. No one has any special infallibility that jets them past the rest of us and jets them past the authority of Christ that he mediates through his word, which can be a problem. It was a problem in Colossae, and it, was a pro- it is a problem now. Now, here's the thing. When I started my studies in Colossians this week, and when I, you know, I was headed towards the authority idea to underpin, <clears throat> excuse me, what Paul is saying, I just, I just get afraid easy, so I got afraid. <laughs> I mean, that's on me. I shouldn't, but I did. And sometimes when I get afraid, I do stupid things, and I did, okay? Again, that's on me. But when I get afraid, this is what I usually do. I read the Bible. I read some quick pick-me-up, some, someplace fun, uh, I don't know, Disney, Winnie the Pooh, something. <laughs> you know that Winnie the Pooh has an Instagram page, by the way? I follow him. It's just, isn't that incredible? <laughs> <clears throat> Should I stop now? <laughs> because I follow Winnie the Pooh. I text my wife, I'm afraid, and she, good. And then I read some J.I. Packer. Okay, but J.I. Packer, he asked the question, after saying God the Father has given his son Jesus Christ all authority to rule not only the earth, but the cosmos, you know, the powers and authorities, the visible world and the invisible world. After saying that, he said, the scriptures now function precisely as the instrument of the lordship of Jesus Christ over his followers, so his church. And after saying that, he asked the question, now, excuse me, bear with me, this is so important. He asked the question, where is God's authority Okay, where is God's authoritative truth to be found today? I mean, that's the question for the ages. And he gives three basic answers. And each of the answers, and this is so important, it appeals to the Bible in some way. Okay, so hold that thought. The false teachers in Colossae, they weren't saying that Jesus Christ didn't die for sins. They weren't saying that. But they were adding some stuff to that, which made it wrong. Okay, back to our question. Okay, three basic answers, how people understand authority, and how in three different ways people appeal to the Bible. The first one, and this is just truth, right? So this is not, you know, an axe to grind. This is just truth. First is the Roman Catholic and Orthodox churches. So they believe God's truth as they believe in the interpretation of scriptures that they express in their own tradition and by their own consensus. In other words, they sit over the scriptures, yeah, that's really important. So like on a low brain level, this would be the same thing as, you know, this is how we've always done things around here. And they say that and they interpret the Bible through that lens. So the way they always thought of things or the way they always do things, the Bible has to sit under that. And it could happen in a Protestant church, but it, typically it happens for sure in the Catholic church. So on a more intellectual level... <clears throat> You get bishops and cardinals and you get the Holy Father and you get them in a study room and they come to conclusions. And they do view the Bible as God's truth, but they insist that the truth that the Bible says has to be interpreted through the lens of the church. And when the church expresses God's truth, then the church is infallible. In other words, the church is over the authority of the Bible. The church over, hovers over the Bible, if you would. 
So for example, historically, you have like papal decrees and papal infallibility in Roman Catholic theology, uh, the doctrine that the Pope, he's the supreme teacher, he's the vicar of Christ, he's the earthly representative of Jesus. So it's not the word, it's the Pope. That's how they understand it. And he, and not the Bible, then represents Jesus Christ on the earth. And under certain conditions, he cannot err. And so when he teaches in matters of faith or morals, he is always right. Whatever conclusions that he comes to, he is always right. Okay, that's one way to find God's authority. Now you contrast that to individuals, and we're just going to give them some titles. There's the modernist, there's the subjectivist, liberalist, spiritual, or hyper-spiritualist, and not to be unkind, but honestly, some Pentecostalist. And they say that they find God's truth in their inner thoughts, their inner impressions, their inner judgments, theories, and any kind of inner speculation that they say, and this is what they do, we're certain that the Spirit triggered, triggered this in our mind, and therefore, okay, we may or may not use the Bible, but whatever we're thinking or feeling, that's the truth. And the point is, some of those folks dismiss the Bible as authoritative. Some of them say the Bible is authoritative, but it doesn't really matter because they're treating the Bible as not totally trustworthy, and not directive, and not embodying absolute truth from the mind of God. Because they're confident that the Spirit always leads them to pick and choose the, what is true and right, and what is not true and what is not right, in such a way that no Bible is really needed. They are the standard, and they're always, they're always led, if you would, to getting it right, and then wisdom from God results. And a whole lot of people have shipwrecked their lives on that line of thinking. And so what you need to see is what they say is their inner impressions, their inner thoughts, their experiences have authority over the Bible. So all that is hovering over the Bible. And finally, there's, there's churches like West Coast Chapel, to be honest with you. Historic Protestantism. And this is what we find. We say that God's truth is in the teaching of God's word, the scripture. So we receive the scripture as inspired, that is God-breathed or God-given, inerrant, totally true, and everything that it affirms and the Bible is sufficient. It tells us all that God wants us to know, and it tells us what we must and what we cannot know by nature about salvation, about life, common life, and eternal life. And the Bible, we say, is clear, and it's straightforward, and self-interpreting in the things that matter. And so they say, and we say, everything about everything sits under Christ, and he mediates. So this is the picture you should have, is here's the authority of Christ, and here we are, the church. And, and the scripture hovers over the church. So again, the first two, we'll say Catholicism and subjectivism, they say either human judgment, or inner voice, or human tradition is over the Bible. In fact, Jesus dealt with that. Remember Mark 7? You nullify, you make void the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So their tradition was over the Bible, even in Jesus' time. So they'll say the Bible's good. It's just not good enough. And it's just not best. But historic Protestantism says we value the church's heritage absolutely. We should appreciate the demand for good thinking absolutely. But we take seriously the idea that the scripture's canon, Right? And we take seriously the idea is the Holy Spirit is our teacher. 
And canon means rule or standard. And that means God has spoken finally and savingly in his word, which points to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the embodiment of all the words that we read from the body, the, the Bible, the embodiment of God's gracious plan to save people from the fallout of their own wickedness. And this means by dent of principle, the first two things, they are deeply flawed. But the latter is not. Now, even when I say that, it doesn't mean that we who follow the, the latter line, it doesn't mean that we get everything right. Of course not. But it does mean the Bible's right. And it does mean the Bible's over us. And that's why we sweat and study, and we are earnest in our preaching, and we confess our sins, and we confess our need for God's help as we sit under the Bible's authority and the common things of our life. Now, okay, thank you for taking the time to go with me. Now, take, take that and apply it to what, what is taking place in Colossae. You have a church, the Colossian church. They have a problem. The problem is this. Other people have gone into the church and began to teach something different than what Paul said. Okay, different how? Well, different, again, not in saying that Christ did not die for sin and that Christ is the only way. They're agreeing with that. However, what they are trying to do is add something on top of Christ as a way of salvation, therein demoting Christ. This is what they're saying. This is so good. Please listen. I mean, it's bad what they're saying, but the good, good, the conclusion. They are saying Jesus is not enough. Okay? Therefore, by implication, you are not enough. And we can help you become enough. Again, okay? They're saying by implication, Jesus is not enough. Therefore, you are not enough, and we can help you be enough. Now, I'm not trying to be unkind, but that is the basic premise in preaching in so many churches, okay? You are not enough, and I'm going to help you Sunday by Sunday to become enough. And all that does is demote the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It means that something less has happened to us than what happened when we first came to believe. But Paul, okay? But Paul's reason then for writing the letter is to say that Jesus is enough. And if he's enough, therefore you are enough. That's it. If he's enough and you're in him, you're enough. And not only for salvation, you're enough right now. Day one believer, day bazillion believer. You are, you are enough right now for salvation. But with acceptance with God, you have God's approval you have a God's assurance, and, and you have love from God, and you have care and blessing. And to be even more direct, some Christians are being pressured there in Colossae. You, know, you have to follow Jewish laws, a little extra rule here, a little teaching of the faith here, a little additions. Some begin to boast of their, their visions, a word that they heard. Some begin to say, you know, we have secret knowledge from God and a secret voice that we heard that no one else knows. And if you want to have more of God, well, come on and follow us. And in saying that, they were saying Christ was not enough. So let's just think, being human, the church is fascinated by the charms of, of what they said they could offer. And they become prey, and they become unstable. And hence, God sends Paul in this letter. Because they began to believe that Christ wasn't enough. That something needs to be added to his atoning death and, and some new teaching. And if they could just get that new teaching, then they would have their thing. Now, let's be really honest and let's be really common. Let's not be too hard on them. I mean, think with me. 
If you're in here and you're dealing with indwelling sin, right, and you get this certain sin and it just kicks your tail week by week and you're not doing very well, and then all of a sudden someone bright and shiny comes along and says, I can do this for you. I can give you this kind of spiritual experience that will get you out of that mess. I can give you this kind of spiritual power that you need right now that you didn't get in Christ and we can get you out of that mess. I can give you some spiritual secret and if you listen to me, it's like the key to unlock the door and all those bad, wicked things that you dirty little boys and girls are doing, they can be stopped immediately. And if you have half a desire to be holy, you might be tempted to listen to them. And besides, Paul's writing from prison not a palace. So the church is getting a letter from a man from prison. He doesn't have an executive office, right? He's got like a rock bottom floor. He can't say that the things in people in power say, well, let me get my people to get to your people. We're going to send a chariot load of books. And we're going to send a chariot load of supplies over there. And we're going to teach you how to get really, really, really close to God. Can you teach that? And we're going to get things squared away. Now, I say that because false teachers never show you everything. They just show you what they want you to see. And you have in Paul someone who admits his flaws openly. He doesn't hide them. Right? Gospel complete, but I still struggle with indwelling sin. In fact, 1 Timothy 1, I'm the, pretty much the best at it on this planet at the time the chief of all sinners. And listen to me, please. His remedy to them is to send them words on parchment. You getting that? Church is in trouble, and his remedy is to send them words on parchment. Are you, are you really? Words on parchment, and that's going to do it? Well, it's God's word. You want to have a little fun? I do. So I was thinking about this, and a long time ago when I was in school, I had to go to different churches, and, and these are the different churches that I went to. I went to, to um, like the concert church, where everything was like a concert. And I'm not making any judgments, I'm just telling you what I did. And so they're really good, you know, the smoke stuff and the lighting, and I just, my, I'm real emotional, and I was just like weeping there. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, whatever this person's going to tell me, you know, it was way back when, I'll probably listen to I went to an African-American church, and they were getting down, and they're so good at it. I mean, they were good, and you know, they do the dancing thing in the aisles, and some of the ladies do the strut thing, and I swear to you, if I had a cell phone, because they, they, were, they were doing a fundraising the day that I was there, if I had a cell phone, I would have called my wife and said, we're giving the house to this church, because I would get so excited about what they were doing, that authoritative voice, we need to do this, we need, like, Yes. Are the hollow ground churches? I mean, you walk in there and it's like heaven. And it's like, a, it's like a beautiful concert and you get moved. And the only reason why I say that, I am not making judgment on any of those places. I'm saying Paul sends words on parchment. Paul sends words on parchment. That is the great power and authority of the word of God. Living words from God. So, and we're going to only get to one point, so don't panic. You see those, uh, that's our first point, number one. You, do you see all those no one statements? Verse one, if your Bible's open, I tell you this so that no one, right? No one will deceive you with fine sounding arguments. Verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which has been on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. Verse 16, therefore do not let anyone 
judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to religious festivals and so on. Verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false uh, practices and the worship of angels disqualify you. Well, we're going to get to that. But the point, what Paul was saying, he's saying this, no one, not even one. In fact, the word there, no one, it means it's not the word for just humanity. It's a, it's a universal world, word, so it can mean humans, but it can also mean the things in the cosmos, angels, invisible powers. No one, no spirit, no flesh, visible, invisible, no one should disagree with me and what I'm teaching you. No one. That's what he's saying. You know, you, on the postmodern man, who do you think you are? No one? Yeah, no one. So again, project this into the 21st century church. And essentially, he's saying, I've been given authority in this, and therefore no one who disagrees with me about the gospel, about Christ, about Christianity, about who you are in Christ, and what he's done in the person and work, no one who disagrees with me is right. So if your Bible's open, verse 10, you are complete in him. If they're telling you anything different than that, don't believe them. Right? Don't believe them. Okay, you might get impressions and heart tugs. Okay, fine. But you run all those things through the Word. Now, isn't that shocking in some sense? I mean, you have to admit it is. So let's just... Eddie. There's nobody named Eddie in here. I'm mythical Eddie. There's nobody Eddie. Good. Okay, I didn't want to use somebody's name. I figured there, I didn't know Eddie. Okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Eddie. Mythical Eddie. Okay, he's on fire for Jesus. Shows up early. Stays late in the context of the church. When you need Eddie, Eddie's there. But why is Eddie there? Eddie doesn't believe Jesus is enough. And that means Eddie isn't enough. Eddie believes in Christian disciplines. Eddie believes by his spirituality, by his effort, by his works, by his religious devotion. Eddie believes that Eddie is making himself enough. So Eddie relates to God only through how well Eddie is doing. So Eddie actually likes those sermons, you know, you lazy, selfish, boat-buying Christmas or Christian vacationing, give your kids a cell phone way too early. He loves those sermons. He loves them. Because Eddie likes to think that Eddie's becoming brighter and brighter and brighter in God's eyes because of Eddie. So much so that Eddie, deep inside, and you'll never know this because this is an internal thing, Eddie compares himself to other Christians. And that's the fuel that keeps Eddie going because Eddie cannot stand. He cannot stand not to be best. Eddie thinks that external behavior is a sure sign of spiritual growth. So, for example, your Bibles are open when Eddie reads chapter 2. Okay, he believes it. But it hasn't ascended into Eddie's heart. Or how about chapter 1, verses 21 and 22? He, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That does not do much for Eddie. Eddie believes it in his head, but he hasn't captured it in his life. And therefore, Paul writes to Eddie's, verse 4, let no one. Verse 8, let no one. Verse 16, let no one. Verse 18, do not let anyone, including Eddie, lead you astray. 
Paul is saying, listen to me. I am speaking authoritatively here. Do not believe anyone, anything, any spirit that differs from this. That's it. Now, I'm a, we need to go because it's Mother's Day and I want to get us home early. <laughs> right now, the Eddie's judging me. Like, Pastor, just preach until you know, like, sorry. Okay, let, let, let's try to close this. So, so, so this week I was thinking about things and this might help. So one, one day, many, many years ago, some of you know the story. Um, it's a Sunday afternoon and I'm playing outside with Jared and Lindsay football. Nicole's inside, and, and that's my wife. And, and so anyway, the, we're throwing, and jo, Jared throws a pass. It is beautiful. It's powerful. But he doesn't throw it to Dad. He throws it to the window. It's actually his sister's window, and, and it's double pane. He breaks one of the panes. So my wife, in all her glory, you know, she's speedy like a gazelle. She runs out there and looks at the window, and this is what she says. That's it. No more sweating on Sunday. Bam, then goes inside. <laughs> Okay, you know, so it's okay. It's our house. But it's her. And we're all looking around like, can she say that? Does she have the authority to say that? <laughs> you know? She's, she, she's mom. <laughs> she's really nice, and she's usually, she's usually right. You know, is this, is this true? Okay, compare that, and you're going to like this one, ladies. It, it was a long time ago, but I'm not going to tell you how long ago it was. I was having a discussion with my wife, and I said to her, you know I'm your pastor. Right? And she said, yes, I know. (laughs) This is what I can say in both those instances. I can safely say that we we weren't trying to throw our power around. She wasn't trying to throw her power around when she said what she said about Sunday. Okay? And I wasn't trying to throw my power around when I said what I said about being her pastor. Paul's not trying to do that. You run his conclusions to their logical end. Just get, get out of our context and put yourself in his context for a minute. Everything he's saying, he's not, being, he's not beating his chest. He's not being bombastic. He's not being arrogant. Verse 24, I'm suffering for you. Chapter 2, verse 1, I'm agonizing for you. Anybody in leadership understands? This is what he says. This truth it is from God. It happened in history, and it's good for you, right? Because he understands what's going to happen to them short-term and long-term. And over the, over the long haul, if they follow these false teachers, he understands what kind of Christian that's going to create. He understands in the short-term and the long-term what's going to happen to them if they try to relate to Jesus, and they try to relate to themselves and others and God through their own religious practice, through their own religious experiences, through their own self-denial. He knows it's going to ruin them. He knows it. It's going to ruin them, and they're going to build their life on half a truth, which is a lie, instead of building their life on Jesus Christ, who is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. More to say, Lord willing, we'll wait a couple of weeks to be able to say it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a good and gracious God. You're serious about holiness. We understand that. 
you're so serious that you had to come in flesh and put your son on the cross and the person of your son on the cross so that it could be dealt with decisively. Humans can't deal with sin that way. We can put patches on things, but patches explode in time. We need, we need a God who is real and a God who came in flesh to do what we could never do for ourselves. And we have it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Please, as the days go by, do not let us underestimate the goodness of the gospel. That is not the same thing as saying we can do whatever we want, far from it. But we are saying the goodness of the gospel, let us share in your joy as a congregation. Let us share in your joy. Now, Father, as we leave, the, the folks have different plans for the day. May, may they know your blessing as they eat together, as they talk, walk, whatever it is they're going to do. May your peace and your blessing be on them. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening this week. If you were helped or encouraged by the sermon, please share it with others. For additional information, visit us online at westquestchapel.com. There you'll find other resources to connect you to Christ in His Church. Also, we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or our YouTube channel. We hope you join us again next week as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.